0: So if we turn to Psalm 112, folks, um, we're going to really just continue in the series, if you like, that we've been doing. I've not been at it for a few weeks on Father and Nations because it's so important. I did uh, write a, an ebook on this. It's not been printed as yet, but we might do that very soon. Uh, so it is available if you want to get it. I can send it to you. Um, but I'm just preaching out of the, out of that because I really feel the Lord was saying to emphasize what he wants us to walk in as the remnant, which is maturity, which is being a father or a mother. You know, it's not a, it's not really a gender thing, but Scripture does use the term father um, as, as a metaphor for being mature in the faith. But we will look at it. I promise that we'll get there sometime. We'll talk about, Um, mothers Deborah said I arose a mother in Israel and Sarah was called um, the mother of all nations Mm -hmm. Amen Mm -hmm. so we're going to look at that too uh, just so that we're not uh, we're not getting the idea that it's all about being men or guys Um, because women can be fathers too just like women can be sons too and like women can be kings too Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, but if you want to call it queens and daughters that's fine because you know it's not hard and fast. So we've been looking at if Yahweh is your father, we expect to see him in you. You know, people expect to see um, the father in the children, don't they? You know, if, if you like to see yourself in your kids. Um and we we met a lady yesterday who introduced herself as a the mother we didn't know her of a friend of ours, uh and as you just looked at this woman, you could see Douglas and her, yeah, <laughs> uh, and she uh, confided us that Douglas was about to propose to his fiance. Uh, so pleased to report, she said yes, <laughs> amen. So amen for that's a, yeah, amen for him. That's another man with a yoke of bondage. You not? Know? No, 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 no. <laughs> only kid, only kid. Uh, we, we we believe that their marriage will be blessed, but we we saw in this lady, the son. You know, and your children should be a reflection of you. So if Yahweh is your father, we expect to see him in you. Because we look for signs of kinship. His DNA is in us as his children. And at this moment in time in the earth, with all this stuff going on about uh, transhumanism and uh, DNA altering pharmaceuticals, pharmacia, all that stuff, it's so important that we keep the DNA of God in ourselves, And I don't just mean by not having chemicals, but I mean as being embodiments, as living epistles, as being Christ-like. And being Christ-like isn't us doing our best to live the Christian life, it's letting Jesus live big in us, in the Holy Ghost free reign of our life. So fathers make descendants. Fathers, this is the thing, fathers determine what comes after them. Amen. That's the role of a father. A father determines what comes after him simply by being a father. By siring children. Fathers produce seed. That goes into the future. You know, normally speaking, when the father passes away, his seed goes on in the earth. That's how it's supposed to be. Um, and, And sometimes tragically, as we know, fathers have to bury their children. But the program is that Fathers have seed that goes into the future. So every time fathers cast like farmers, when a farmer casts a seed, that seed is for a future harvest. And for future seed. So it goes on and on, seed time harvest, the law of seed time harvest. Uh, you can tell the nature and the character of the father by observing the seed. Now, that doesn't always work, because you can have good men giving birth eh, or, or siren bad rotten kids, yeah? But you can also have uh, good children or good seed coming from a bad father. So we don't judge somebody because their father was maybe a badian. Um, Each person themselves determines their own destiny by how they live their lives. But nonetheless, you can tell the nature and character of the father by observing the seed. In other words, you see it a lot, that children act like their fathers or their mothers. Even if it's just personality traits, yeah? Even if it's just a personality thing. You know, like maybe a, some, a, someone's very tidy because their mum was or their dad was, that type of thing. Um, so we're looking for that. We're looking for, uh, uh, we're looking for that in the, the, the seed or the children, what was in the parents'. Whatever comes in the future comes from a father. Nobody was ever born without a father. Even Jesus, especially Jesus. In other words, Jesus did not have a human father, but he had the heavenly father. So nobody has ever been born without a father. So whatever comes in the future must come from a father. So when that promise that Abraham would bless every family in earth, even if you're somebody who doesn't have any um, relatives as in siblings, cousins, that type of thing, aunties, you, you came from a mother and father. This makes fathers prophetic just by being fathers. Because who they are determines what will happen and who will be involved. Fathers are progenitors, they create future. Amen? That's so true. Fathers create futures because they create the future humans that will walk the planet. And you could not be here without a father. Who your father is spiritually determines your destiny. Now that means is your father almighty God or is it the father of lies, the evil one? If your spiritual father is the father of lies you have no foundation of truth. Truth is another word for reality. So if your spiritual father is Satan or the devil or the father of lies or all different names that he has, your foundation in life has no basis in eternal reality. Because you're, you're literally, your father is a liar and the father of him. And you say, well, that's true of every unsaved person. Yes, it is. It was true of us before we got saved. Amen. So, lies have no place in heaven and no purchase in any dimension. And that's the thing that we have to remember as we look at the fabric or the web of lies that's been woven all around us by evil governments and corrupt people and so on, is that this cannot last because it's based on lies. It doesn't have any purchase. It can flare up for a minute, and all the Sam set, up Sam thirty-seven and so on. I've got a good friend because actually, or was in the group, I think she's left. <laughs> but she used to speak about that a lot. Sam, read Sam thirty-seven all the time um, about about fret, not about the wicked, because they don't have any purchase ultimately. Amen. They can do a lot of damage, but they can't do everlasting damage. So the reason for this, of course, is that they are not real. They don't have any real basis. So there is nothing more real than an authentic father because the Bible tells us in 1 John, fathers know him from the beginning. That's what makes them fathers. That's what makes them mature saints. That is, they are rooted in the father from the realm of eternity. Our knowledge of God must not be based on the theological books we've read, on the good teaching that we've heard, on a whole bunch of stuff, a, a YouTube video. Um, what I mean by that is, is that we, we can absorb a lot of things mentally and intellectually, that's what I mean. Head knowledge. It cannot be rooted in head knowledge. Oh, he knows all about the plants of the Bible. He could tell you all the animals in the Bible. Well, so what? It's only revelation knowledge that counts. It's only knowledge that has been revealed to your inner man and has illuminated your mind from that source. Not, well, I read, I've read every book on that subject. So there is nothing more real than somebody who knows God by revelation knowledge. The fatherhood of God is the source from which we draw all we need. That's why Jesus said, begin, the, begin your prayers with our Father. Didn't say, oh, all great, almighty God, Lord of the universe, you can pray that, but Jesus said, just just go straight on with our Father. He's our Father, He's our Abba, He's our Daddy. We are commanded to to be in this eternal reality at all times. That's why it says, pray without ceasing. In other words, be in the Father's presence and know Him as Father. In fact, the notes from this, the chapter heading is, Knowing Your Father, I mean, knowing God when we lose consciousness of our eternal reality um, as being fathers, ourselves, shining out of, or forth out of our Father in glory. In other words, God's saying that we need to be mature, which means being fathers, which means our real nature, really who we are in Christ. When we lose consciousness of who we're supposed to be in Christ, who we really are in Christ that means. then that's when we start to miss it. That's when we start to goof off. We slip into the state of the separation. It's a lie. It's a lie that you and I are separate from God. The Bible says, he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit with him. So if you're not joined to the Lord, then you're of a different spirit. It's that simple. Where we need to stop thinking, oh, God's up there, I'm down here, he's, he's, he's holy, and I'm a bottom. I'm That's old covenant thinking. We need to understand that we're one with him. And that being one with him, his nature, his character, his attributes, his reality, his presence, comes out of us while we walk, not just with him, but walk in him and him in us. That's why we're called a temple, so that he will dwell in us and his presence will be in us, not outside of us. You know, um, we have in this room, we always talk about a lot about the presence that has hit a lot of people when they come in. And people have, you know, started bursting in tears and tongues and all sorts of things. And we do believe that there's an atmosphere, a presence of God in this place. But, but we're not, we don't say to ourselves, get up in the morning, oh, to touch God, we need to go to church. Because he lives in us and he's one with us. So the lie of separation is the greatest lie of all because our true nature is one spirit with him. And when it says joined there, it literally means like as in, a, as in a conjugal union. In other words, you could actually even use the modern term super glued together or co mingled together. Now, the evil one is the father. Of the lie paradigm in life. Whenever you believe you're not perfect in and from a perfect father, you fall short of his glory. That's what happened in the garden. Oh, did you guys know that if you eat this lovely fruit, you'll be just like God? Well, they already were. The lie was that that, there's still one more we thing to do. That's the lie the devil tells you every morning. You know, you only read nine chapters and you're supposed to read ten. You only prayed 27 minutes and you're supposed to pray to 30. God is displeased with thee. There's some more thing you have to do. So he, he drives us to try and earn God's approval by works. So that's the lie that you're not already perfect in him. Notice that Jesus didn't say be perfect like me. Did you notice that? What did he say? He said, be perfect as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Mm-hmm. Jesus came to show us the Father, not to show us or show off. Amen? Mm-hmm. Jesus is locating perfection which is what the, the Greek word is teleos state in glory realms. Your Father which is in heaven. He is telling us we are anchored to and rooted in eternal realities. Okay, perfection comes from the Father which is in heaven. He's he's perfect and we're to be perfect like Him. Why? Because eternal things are not subject to change. You can be perfect because your Father is perfect and lives in a realm where that perfection is immutable, unchangeable. So we need to to live from the glory. You know, I really believe that the Lord today said he wants us to be uh, in the glory at all times. Mm-hmm. To live in the glory, not just visit the glory or have the glory visit us. You know, we speak a lot. I was thinking a lot today about the, the, the 90s in particular, and what they call Toronto or, or the, the Laughing Revival, when that came. But, you know, in many ways it was a visitation. And God wants habitation. Okay, you know, we visited my auntie a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, and I, and I couldn't anyway, but, you know, I don't live in auntie. Okay, because it's a visitation, not a habitation. But the Lord wants us to live with him and in the glory realms, and what we've expected, just to go on and on and on. what does the Bible say? From glory to glory. Not just, oh, we had a great experience in 1997. We saw a Shekinah cloud in the room. And we can all maybe have tales and stories like that. We've certainly got lots of testimonies. But that ought to be our normal, the new normal we're talking about. Well, the new normal is Isaiah 60 for the remnant of God, mm-hmm. the glory realm. So anyway, for, uh, let's read about the blessed man of Psalm 112. I had you turn there. And this is, this is a man who lives it and lives in it. And, and it lives in him. Okay? It ought to live in us. Not just pop up now and again because we had a great meeting. Or the conditions were right and we had a great time. But that it lives in our lives. It's anchored in us. And we're anchored in it. You see, the glory realm... It's not a realm that's somewhere light years away past the Milky Way. It's within our grasp. And it's actually coexistent with this realm. So right now, if you could just come out of your body and it's happened to me it's happened to others, you'd actually see around you into what we call the spirit realm or the glory realm or the glory realm in the third heaven. We've access to that. We've access to the third heaven and unsaved people don't have that and demons don't have that but we've access to that. We would also probably see um, the second heaven and we'd actually see a different dimension to this realm round about us because there are more dimensions than this one. And I'm not talking about uh, what's that program that used to be on? The Outer Limits? And, um, Twilight Zone. Thanks Jim, that's what I was thinking, that's the one. Twilight one. But we can live in that realm of glory. We're supposed to. So Psalm 112, praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears Yahweh, who delights greatly in his commandments. The fear of the Lord, the fear of Yahweh, is the realm of or if you like, the portal of the, the door to blessedness, to walking in the blessing, okay? If you're not functioning in the, the fear of the Lord, you're actually standing in your own way from getting into a place of blessedness. You're blocking yourself, okay? Because we can't be casual and blunt glo- and fluff about the things of God or God himself We have to fear him. And a lot of people say, yeah, but fear, that doesn't really mean fear. It means, you know, awe and reverence. Yeah, it means that, but it does sometimes mean terror. Because Jesus said you ought to fear the one that can uh, destroy you eternally, not just the one that can wipe out your body. And we're commanded to fear him in both covenants. So blessed is a man who fears the Lord, and you know, let me just say this as well, the fear of the Lord isn't a feeling. It's not, oh, I don't really, I'm not scared of God today, so I must not really fear him. The fear of the Lord is a decision that you make to position yourself and say, Father, I choose to fear you, biblically. You see, the fear of the Lord will keep you clean, the Bible says, but here's the thing, the fear of the Lord is the cure for every other fear. The fear of snakes, the fear of heights, the fear of death, the fear of COVID, the fear of whatever. The fear of the Lord will keep you pure and cure you of those other fears, and of course the biggie, the fear of man and the fear of death, which is much the same thing. Then it says, "His descendants will be mighty on earth." This is a blessed man, and and what I want you to see here is this one as we read this, that this blessed man is a metaphor for for a father. A mature saint, a strong believer, somebody that really knows the Lord, uh, the blessed man of Samaritan 12, who is a father. He cannot be moved. Remember, we used to sing that old chorus: "We shall not, we shall not be moved, not by the Hibs, the Hearts, or the Celtic." No, no, no not that one. <laughs> or, or some of the Celtic fans, not by the Hibs, the Hearts, or the Rangers. No, no, that was. <laughs> that's not the words. What was it, like a tree planted by the riverside? No, that's based on this, it's based on scripture. So it says here his descendants will be mighty in earth, the generation of the upright will be blessed wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. What that means is he will have money and wealth and it won't mar his spiritual life with God, it won't corrupt him. His righteousness endures, in other words he knows how to handle it, why? Because he's a blessed man, he's a father then it says uh, to the upright there arises light in the darkness, he's gracious and full of compassion and righteous a good man deals graciously and lends, we could actually say in the new covenant, a good man deals graciously and gives we're givers in the new covenant, back in the old covenant, it was enough you could lend 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 to the poor, but in the new covenant we give to the poor, amen He will guide his affairs with discretion. This is where I'm trying to go. Surely he will never be shaken. He'll never be shaken. And what does the Bible tell us that God is doing right now in the last days? Shaking everything. Shaking the nations. Shaking, just shaking everything. Shaking the heavens, shaking the earth. But the righteous man, the blessed man, the fathers in the faith, the mature saint. Let Let me say it this way the remnant, say, will never, it's, again, this is not talking about men and women, you just have to get shaken all over the place and none of this applies, so that's not what it means he, he's just simply saying, a person okay so th- this applies to women too the he will, he will never be shaken, she will not. we will never be shaken, amen now we can see what God is doing when he's shaking stuff. But it's not going to shake us. And let me say this to you. If it does shake us, it's because we've got stuff that needs to be shaken. Mm-hmm. But, but the, the real man, the inner man, the, the hidden man of the heart, the Bible calls it. The spirit man or the spirit woman. Will never be shaken. Because we're rooted in him. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. Have you had any evil tidings lately? I have. You know, it might be evil tidings from the doctor. It might be evil tidings from your bank manager. It may be evil, evil tidings from a sheriff officer. Or evil tidings. Let me tell you what evil tidings is in today's terms. Scotland today. Hi, I'm John Mackay with your Daily dose from Glasgow. Of evil tidings. Hello, I'm whatever her name is. From Edinburgh. And I'm also bringing you evil tidings. And then half an hour later. It's the national one. That with the woman that's always quite cheery eyed. Is it Nightingale or something? She's a nice lady. And I'm, I'm just here to give you more evil tidings. Here's the latest bad news. From wicked governments. and Babylonian systems. But the righteous man, the fathers in the faith, the remnant saints of God will be not be shaken by that, will not be afraid of it because they know that it's lies anyway. Then it says, his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. You need your heart steadfast, trusting in the Lord, folks. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. He will not be afraid. He will not be afraid. You ought to get up in the morning and stand before your mirror and a hundred times say, I will not be afraid. I'll not be afraid today. I'll not be afraid of evil tidings. I'll not be afraid no matter what I read. I'll not be afraid of what's on the WhatsApp group. Because <laughs> we're, we're all guilty. I've done it. We've all put on stuff on that that would make you very afraid. If you weren't a Psalm 112 person. If you weren't in the remnant. And that's why it's important. That we sometimes get information about what they're up to. Because we need to be informed. But we just don't want overloaded with that. I'd rather be overloaded with the word of God. And just get a wee bit of the other stuff. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. We will see our desire upon their enemies. And listen, we're not talking about people here. We're not really talking about Nicholas Sturgeon and Boris Johnson, because they will receive their recompense. And, 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 you know, we'll maybe rejoice when we see certain people get their comeuppance. But this is talking about our real enemies, which is the system, not the people in the system, but the system and the principalities and powers and high-ranking wicked spirits that control the system. We'll see our desire upon them. Then he says, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. You notice it says that several times. Because you and I need our righteousness to endure. And, and, and here's why it will endure forever because it isn't our righteousness, it's His. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Him. But it's his righteousness that we're righteous in, not our own. It's not because we gave to Oxfam, helped old ladies over the road and did nice deeds and stuff. It's because he died on the cross and gave us, for our sinfulness, his righteousness. His horn will be exalted with honour. How many would like their horn to be exalted with honour? That just simply means that you'll be exalted with honour. And you know, that's why I'm liking my new honour phone. Because I'm exalted with honour. Mm-hmm. You know, honour is so important, folks. Honour is in our gift. The Bible commands us honour all men. Why does it tell us to honour all men? Why would you honour the porn barman? Why would you honour the drug barman or the drug peddler? Why would you honour the, uh, the wicked, thieves and stuff like that? Why would you honour them? well first of all we're commanded to honour him but here's why, because God does and let me prove it to you, he honoured you when you cried for mercy he didn't say you've gone too far oh, if you see what you've done don't even speak to me God will honour the vilest wretch who cries out and many have and that's what that wonderful hymn Amazing Grace, that saved a wretch like me not like you Amen? I don't sing amazing grace that saved a wretch like you. I sing it he saved a wretch like me. Because God honoured that cry of desperation. And even when, if you, if you have been saved but you still mess up and goof off and do all kinds of horrible, freaky stuff, he'll still honour you because he's not the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. So God honours all men in that he 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 died for each one, he gave his only begotten son. We could say God so honored everybody in the world. I know it says love the world, but but, but it's his honour that allows those to cry out to him. It's not honour is not respect, respect has to be earned. So you're not commanded to respect people, you're commanded to honour them. Because a lot of people don't have, or put it this way, you're not commanded to respect everybody. There are people you, you just can't respect. But you can still honour them. So that's why when a preacher stands up in a crowd or when you go out the streets and evangelise, you're not saying, give me your backstory and I'll decide if I want to give you the gospel. No, you honour them by giving them the gospel and saying it's available to you. You don't know what they've got up to. You might find out later. But it's so important that we honour. His horn will be exalted. With God will give you and I honour. But we have to be people that pass it on. Honour all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the king. That's our command in 1 Peter. He will gnash his teeth and melt away the desire the wicked shall carry. So, it is vital to know that God is your father and you are his child. So, let me just press on with what we're looking at and then we'll bring it to a close and I think if the Lord wants to minister tonight and someone wants ministry we'll certainly make that available. We've got to be about the Father's business. That's so important, folks. I want to talk a little bit about that. Jesus said, I must be about my Father's business. He was 12. Okay, so if a 12-year-old Jesus has to be about his Father's business. You and I do. So, our role and function is to be fathers or mothers as well who demonstrate the Father to the world. Be like your Father, your heavenly Father who is perfect, Jesus said. So, we need to demonstrate the Father to the world. That was what Jesus was all about. He said he must be about his Father's business. And that's what he was doing in his ministry when he eventually stepped into it. It's interesting that he was, listen to this, it's interesting that when Jesus said that to Joseph and Mary at 12 year old he was sitting with the elders and fathers at that time the people who knew, knew knew more about the Bible than anybody else that was their job full time he's sitting with all these guys who were experts and they're astonished at him But the interesting thing is that he was drawn to that conversation with them because they were elders and fathers. Jesus said, listen to this, he only ever did what he saw the father do and he only spoke what the father was saying. Now, can we say that of ourselves? I can't. Not when I'm doing my road rage, supervillain thing or my, you know, and, and, and some of us are the same, aren't we? But Jesus only did what He saw the Father doing, and what He, what He. He spoke what the Father was saying. He said, "The Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He seeth the Father do. For what things soever He doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise." Well, we should be saying that. That ought to be our heart attitude. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. The Father didn't say to Jesus, I trust you, you're my son, you just do what you, you, do, your, you do your thing. He didn't, he didn't do that. Did you notice that Jesus was under commandment? If Jesus was under commandment, what are you and I? He said, he gave me a commandment what to say and a commandment what to speak. So I would imagine that Jesus, in his mind, everything he was about to say, is this what the Father is telling me to say? He might have been tempted to say a few things that the Father didn't want him to say. Think about this. Nobody was even close, remotely close. Because we're talking about maturity, right? We're talking about being fathers, we're talking about maturity. But nobody was ever remotely close to the level that Jesus was at. I mean, He's dealing with a bunch of numpties. Every single day. Every single day in life. He's not like, oh well Peter, you're, you're quite." Let's have a conversation. What conversation is Peter going to have with Jesus? Fish? You know, Here's the best hooks to use. Here's the best bait to use. I mean, there were, I mean. So Jesus, and the Bible calls that enduring the contradiction. Jesus had to walk about every day. Surrounded by people nowhere near his level. So the temptation to say things like, <laughs> but he only ever said what the Father said. Jesus was not self appointed. Jesus was not self employed. And he wasn't anointed by him. he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Why? Why is that important that he wasn't self appointed or self employed? Because he wasn't about his business, he was about the Father's business. There's only one enterprise that we are concerned with, folks. And that is God and sons unlimited. You know, they use that term limited. Well, we're unlimited. This enterprise only operates called the church, the ecclesia, the kingdom, all that we're involved with. It only has one purpose, which is to do the will of the Father. It is very dangerous to step out of doing God's will. And we've looked at this before. These words, chill me to the bone. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So you can be employed uh, and engaged in doing ministry stuff, but it's not the will of God. Many will say to me in that day, and go and study it out, the Greek word doesn't mean many as in quite a lot, it means the majority. That's the thing that just blows my mind. You can, uh, you can uh, accept that there's a bunch of folks that mess up, and, but it says many, and it means the majority. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works got a program in God TV, Uh, you know, built a church of thousands, Uh, had a white suit ministry. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not knocking guys, preachers with white suits, I'm just, I'm being funny. But in other words, we, we had our own channel, Lord. We had our own internet portal. We've done all these things. We've cast out devils. If, I can imagine, this is just the highlights. Can you imagine the conversations? You know, do you remember that time I cast out? How could I have cast out those devils using your name and they came out? How could I have done that if I wasn't? Because these guys are arguing for their lives. Mm-hmm. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work. Inequity. It is scary, scary words. They're like the scariest two words in the Bible for me another Jesus. The Jesus of skinny jeans and <laughs> all that stuff. And anyway. But it says here not everybody who calls Jesus their boss will enter the kingdom. Only those who do the Father's will. That's why it's so important that we know what the Father's will is. We don't just charge on thinking, oh well, you know, I'll just do my own thing. This is referring to people who do their own thing and not what the Father has assigned them to do. These are very sobering words. And, you know, I I want to say this to you. I think every Christian has walked a wee bit than that at times. Whereas you've maybe thought, oh, this is a great idea. Um, But great ideas are not God ideas. Mm -hmm. And we've all done that. And I remember Kenneth Hagan speaking about he took a pastorate on when he was, I think he pastored 12 years in total. And I think it was the last two years, but certainly two two years or close to the last couple of years, he he became a pastor for two years of a church, and it was he was out of the will of God. He said that. Mm-hmm. He said I would uh, prepare my messages all week. He says I could feel the anointing. He said it was I could feel you know the glory, and when I stepped up into the pulpit to give it he said it was like washing his feet with his socks on, just damp blanket, because he was out of the will of God. So even the fathers in the faith, the generals we call them, even they've messed up. So it's not saying, oh, if you've ever messed up, there's no hope for you. It's not saying that. What he's saying, though, is, of course, if you end up living a life where the ministry just is a business to you, or the ministry is just, it's all your ideas, and you're, and you're not doing God's will, um, and there's a whole lot other implications of that as well, uh, particularly in this day and age when folks just queue up to take pharma mm-hmm. So these are sobering words, folks. Scholars and preachers debate what these words mean, but I just think that that's. I want to postulate this, okay that Jesus is actually talking about saints who choose to stay at a level of immaturity. They refuse to grow up and be fathers who show forth the Father. You know, if you're out of the will of God and, and you have been because your heart is stubborn and, and willful, then that's immaturity. Eventually, it's just a, I think I've told you the story about the man I knew whose wife was a wonderful, old, I mean, a really holy lady, a holy saint of God. Um, uh, but he had decided many years he wasn't going to grow and he actually ended up being like a child. And, you know, she was dressing him in the morning and stuff and he had this this really squeaky child's voice and horrible to behold because he refused to grow in the Lord and he actually regressed to becoming a child again. Now, I've not seen a lot of that, but it was a very sobering thing. In fact, I've actually got got it in these notes here. They had to treat him like a wee boy. So I'll just bring this to a close. It's tragic to see believers settle in a place short of full growth. Our calling is to be fathers. Go and read 1 John chapter 2, where it gives you the three stages of spiritual growth. Babes, or children, adolescents, young men, and of course fathers, which means mature saints. So it's it's using... uh, actual ages and stages in life to describe three stages of spiritual growth. And as I've said, I'm not going to get into it all tonight, that you don't have to wait years to grow up in the things of God. You can do it very fast. Watchman Nee is a great example. He wrote one of the most deep spiritual books ever, The Spiritual Man. He was only a couple of years saved, two or three years saved. I always thought he wrote it at the end of his life, but he actually wrote it, I think it was his first book, which is just mind-blowing. Go and read The Spiritual Man, be watching watch yeah. What a book. So we don't set settle in a place short of full are calling us to be fathers. We are to demonstrate the father to a broken world. Growing up is the most spiritual and the most benevolent thing you can do. We are about the father's business, which involves, what does it involve? It involves bringing all things under Christ's feet. It doesn't involve getting our bags packed for the heli- to get helicoptered out of here in the rapture, no, it means to bring all things under Christ's feet, then he will deliver all things to the Father. The Bible tells us that the Father may be all in all. His will is that we may mature to be perfect like him. That word "perfect" is not doesn't mean that we never sin or never mess up. it means to be fully grown, mature, fully developed. This helps the purpose of God and sons unlimited which is to subdue all opposition that God may be all in all Jesus said this is what Jesus said my father worketh up till now hitherto my father works up till now and I work so God the father when Jesus said that, is still working and Jesus was working what was he working in the father's business none of us should be idle nor are we self-employed or retired. By idle, I don't mean you know, that you don't have a job or you don't have a business. I don't mean that. I mean idle in the things of God. Mm-hmm. Nor are we self-employed or retired. Well, and I don't understand pastors who retire. No disrespect, because I know some that, that have. But you ought not retire, you ought to refire. Amen? And if you're going to retire it should be getting four new tyres not going and sitting in the greenhouse for the rest of your life. Yeah? So retirement is out. We are about the Father's business. If you've got breath in your body and I like to say this to folks that are a certain age, oh well my time has come how can God use me? If, it's not my generation. You're God's generation if you're still wrong breath. If you're still sucking air into your lungs, you are the generation. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter if you're 14. Doesn't matter if you're 84. I'm not looking at you. Okay? I'm just making a contrast from one side to the other. I'll pay for that one. Alright. If that includes Jesus, because he was about the Father's business, it includes all of us who call Jesus our Lord. We'll leave it there for tonight folks um, it's so just so important that we really challenge So it's not about being challenged by the message or challenged by me uh, the Lord challenges but we challenge ourselves we challenge ourselves by saying am I taking responsibility for because we're calling this father and nations because at Abraham, it says, you'll be the father of many nations. And if Abraham is our father and we walk in the footsteps of our father Abraham, it means we take responsibility for our nation. Not just the church, not just other Christians, not our brothers and sisters in Christ, but for the nation, because it's the nations that need it. And that doesn't just mean, oh, well, we'll get tracts printed and we'll go and we'll evangelize. It's not just about evangelization, evangelizing, it's about Prayer is about decree. It's about taking our position on the earth and engaging with heaven, and engaging from our place in heaven, seated with Christ in heavenly places, to effect things in earth by decreeing. Yeah, intercessory prayer. But you know, God shifting the church or the ecclesia out of the old ways of begging God to do something, which was really that was what intercession amounted to oh Lord please do something and you know those folks and I was an intercessor I I was part of intercessors for Britain and I was mentored by the guy who ended up being one of the national leaders of it, so I know what intercession is, I know what it's like to stand in the gap and I know how tough it is and I know how hard it is, I know how hard the devil hits you, but you know I'm telling you God's saying put your sword down because this is scepter time not sword time The only time you should be fighting the devil with your sword is your own battles with him. And ultimately, that really boils down to you're really fighting yourself, you're fighting your flesh. But we're not called to go into the heavens and wage warfare against territorial spirits and principalities and powers and all. We're not called to do that. We're called to be seated. Our calling is Jesus. The Bible says he that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh. God isn't doing this all over the throne room. What are we going to do now? Jesus, Holy Spirit, any ideas? Jesus isn't saying, Father, I didn't know it was going to work out like this. The Holy Spirit isn't saying, Father, Lord Jesus, I've been down there for 2,000 years and there's nothing I can do anymore. God is not panicking. He's laughing. And until you hear the note of his laughter, you're not yet fully functioning in the heavenly places because it says he sits in the heavens and laughs. Why does he laugh? Because he knows that his enemies are engaged in futility. But until we know that, and we'll only ever know that when we mature in him. We'll only ever know that when we decide that we're going to be just like him. And that doesn't mean striving. It doesn't mean, and I don't want to go too much further on this, but what it means is that we receive his word and we we receive the truth of his word that we are one spirit with him. And here's a scripture. The Lord told me to do this with you tonight. So I will read it, though, in the King James. If you've got a King James Bible, if not, get it on the phone. It's 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. This is a shortcut to maturity if you will continue to speak this word, meditate it, confess it about yourself. Herein is our love made perfect, it says, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Who's Who's afraid of the day of judgment? Well, the Bible says you can have boldness in the day of judgment. Because, and this is the reason, as he is, so are we in this world. Doesn't say we can be, doesn't say if we read 40 chapters a day, doesn't say if we speak in tongues for four hours a day, doesn't say if we go to church all the time. It says we are. are so are we in this world. All you have to do is receive it and believe it, and you are walk in it. That's the shortcut to maturity, folks. So avail yourself of it, and the Lord bless you till next time.